So before I have you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, uh, I haven't been in the pulpit here in two weeks. I was present last week, but we, we had a real blessing to have Pastor Craig Linquist with us. So let me bring you up to date. We've been covering this. Jesus is now in Jericho. Jericho is near the Dead Sea. It's the lowest point on earth. He's going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is at altitude. He's going up to Jerusalem. This is the trade route. Everyone's coming into Jerusalem for the Passover. So a grip of people come through this location. It's a major trade route where all the Jews, the diaspora, they're all coming in through this trade route going up to Jerusalem. You can see this highway that goes up. It's amazing. You rise quickly from the lowest point on earth and you come up to Jerusalem, which is stunning. You go through this tunnel and there's the Dome of the Rock and there's Jerusalem. It's powerful. It's one of my favorite times when we're on this trip to Israel. And as they're coming up to Jerusalem, he's going to come into Jerusalem. There's going to be what they call the triumphal entry. They're thrilled because the Messiah is coming into Israel. The crowds are around him. They're so excited. He is going to restore Israel to its original grandeur. He's going to thwart the... Uh, the Romans, he's going to establish the kingdom and they're stoked. And in the midst of all this, where everyone's pressing in, he comes and and Matthew's going to say that he is coming out of Jericho. Mark and Luke say that he's going into Jericho. So you don't think that the word contradicts itself. There are two Jerichos, one that was destroyed that had a civilization, another one that the Romans occupied. He's either going in or out of one or the other. Um, Mark's going to actually point that out. It's not a contradiction. Matthew's going to say there's two blind men that approach him. Uh, Mark and Luke say there's one guy. Mark actually calls him Bartimaeus. Remember, Mark and Luke are writing uh, accounts of somebody else's eyewitness observation. Matthew is an eyewitness. So Matthew sees two blind men, but the narrative is from the vantage point of only one of the blind men that Luke and Mark write down. And specifically, Mark remembers that it's Bartimaeus, the one who did most of the talking. And so it's not a contradiction. It's just a different viewpoint. When you see an accident, you see it from different angles. And this is what was put down. So it's all cool. He comes in and these two blind men, uh, this, is, this is the one moment in the history of the entirety of scripture that something fantastic happens And I pray this is ministered to me so deeply. I pray it does for you today too. So let's get ready for it. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up at verse 29, verse 29, verse 29 reads. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed Jesus and behold, two blind men sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have mercy on us. O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, basically shut up. But they cried out all the more saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Interesting title, Lord, son of David, Messiah. Then Jesus stood still and called them and said, here we go. What do you want me to do for you? I want to say that again and let it marinate. This is God. What do you want me to do for you? All right now, you receive this. He's talking to you. What do you want me to do for you. Some of you are going, oh, mortgage payment, lottery numbers. <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? Then they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Jesus had compassion, touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight. And here we go. And they followed him. Now remain standing. Two more readings. I have to stand the whole time, so quit whining. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 46. Matthew said they went out of Jer- Jericho. Look at Mark 10, 46. Now they came to Jericho. And look what he says here. And as he went out of Jericho. So it kind of explains it, doesn't it? 
with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, everyone say Jesus of Nazareth. Everyone is saying that, Jesus of Nazareth. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then he called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, the master's calling you. He threw aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. That means good teacher. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Luke 18 and verse 35. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho. He may have been leaving one and coming near the other. That a certain blind man sat by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him it was Jesus of Nazareth. Say it again was passing by and he cried out and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should shut up, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still, commanded him to be brought to him. When he'd come near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. Here we go. And followed him, glorifying God, And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So I like Luke's version. I like Mark's version. And I like Matthew's version. So we're going to use them all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the question you've asked us this day. What do you want me to do for you? What would you have me do for you? And Lord, I was so blessed by that. And I pray that you would minister to all who are present in the hearing of my voice the same way you did to me, or even greater, Lord. I pray it'd be a a message of comfort. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing upon your people, and we thank you, Lord, this day. God, be glorified. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, and we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, now relax. I'll remain standing. Thank you very much. Watch it. Uh, You you all remember Gail McWilliams? She had spoken here and she went to be with the Lord. Gail was the woman who uh, lost her eyesight giving birth to her child. She was blind. And she used to quote um, uh, Helen Keller's comment where Helen Keller said, you have sight but no vision. I have no sight but vision. And, and it's amazing that you can see things but not have a vision. And, and the Bible says for lack of a vision that people perish. Vision is this idea of seeing something by faith that is going to come to fruition. It's going to happen. And, and you believe this because the person who said it has the capacity to accomplish it. And if they gave you their word, you can take them at their word. And, and so, you know, Gail would be trusting in the Lord. She lost her sight, but she gained vision. And she was a woman who had deep, deep faith. And, and the reason why I say this is because faith is vision. Hebrews chapter 11 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were made of things which are visible. We're we're not made of things which are visible. So, So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. God made them by his word. We can't see him. And yet we trust him 
and we take him at his word. He spoke the word into existence, or the world into existence. Yahior, wah, yahior. Light be, light was. I butchered the Hebrew. He spoke it. There it was. It's the only creation story in the history of the world that begins with nothing. You look at Marduk, and you look at the Babylonians, and you look at, you look at the Greek idea of, of the creation. Everything begins with either water existing or earth existing. And only in the Hebrew understanding of creation is there nothing. We can't even describe nothing because we have to use the verb to be. I go, you know, John, what is nothing? And John will say, nothing is the absence of something. But he's using is, the verb to be, which is saying that it has something. It is. And that they can't be is nothing. It's, right? And so we're using something to describe nothing. We can't. It's nothing. Right? And out of, it, it, it's ex nihilo, out of nothing, God created. How? By his spoken word. Light be. Light was. Fascinating. But this was done by faith. We believe it and his word declares it and we operate in the context of it. So this is the picture of faith, believing in things not seen and and trusting this. Second Corinthians chapter four, the apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth verses two through four. He says, we've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And I love this. He says, but even if our gospel is veiled, hidden, It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. There's a blinding of the God of this world that you can't see these truths and you can't comprehend this God and you can't take him at his word. And it's hard because that requires faith and faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. You know, it's our lives were changed simply by the preaching of the word of God. How many people in this room had an addiction or had a struggle in your marriage or had a job issue or a financial issue and and you didn't know the Lord, but simply by the preaching of the word of the Lord and receiving that, your life has been profoundly changed. Raise your hand. That's just talking. Your lives have been changed. Crazy. That's the, the Bible says the word of God is living and breathing and sharpening two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We contend for truth. And this is what we do. And in that, our lives are changed. My life was changed. And so this is what Paul's saying. For some, it's veiled. They're blinded to it. Now, there's two ways to attract people. And, and this is something I was in Kansas City, and a person prayed over me. And, and I love what they said. They said, you know, you're, you're fashioning through wisdom and discernment this, this net that, that, that is building community and, and gathering people in. And, and he said, you're, you're not fishing with a lure of deception. They're being drawn to a light, and, and this, this light is this idea of community that we're drawing together. And I was really touched by that, ministered to me. They said, it doesn't seem like it's Christians or pastors. It seems like it's a community. It's like civic. I'm like, whoa, you scare me. And it was, it was a blessing to me. And, you know, this, this idea of prophecy is, is edification and comfort um, and, and exhortation to the body of believers. And it's, it's a, we're supposed to long for this prophecy more than like, the, you know, the gift of tongues, this idea that, that we speak edification and encouragement. I, I remember receiving a word of prophecy and don't get all weird on me or think I'm some spooky dude, but this word of prophecy, I don't even think the person who gave it to me understood there's a word of prophecy. And you know, the story I've told it a thousand times, my daughter, Natasha, who we adopted when she was 12 from Russia, she ends up going off the deep end and she wants to move out and she cannot, and she shared this with me. She said, dad, 
I, for the first two years she was in our home, she had no idea what I was doing on Sunday. Why are you standing in front of people talking? She was from Russia. She had no idea what a church was. She's like, what are you doing? And why are people singing? What is this? She couldn't even, she couldn't get it. And then she, you know, she, she gets older. She's like, I can't, where, why are you singing to a God you can't see? I can't fathom what you're doing. What is this? You, why do I have to read and pray? And what? You don't have to do any of it. I don't want to. Okay. And, and she, but she loved our home. She loved the security of it. She loved the blessing of it. She loved that we loved her. She loved to love us, but she didn't get it. And when all the trials and struggles of life would come, she wouldn't apply what was written because she didn't buy it. And she was convinced, I can figure this out. I've, I figured out how to survive in an orphanage. I figured out how to survive abuse. And I figured out how to survive a destro- destroyed family. I figured out how to get through a fire and save my family. I can do this. And I don't need reading. I can't, I can't fathom what you're doing. And what is all this God stuff? And I, I got that because I went through that too. And I told her, I said, the other four kids are aliens to me. I don't know what it's like to be raised in a Christian home. I said, you, I get. <laughs> and the only one I get wants to leave. I, I understand you're experiential. You love to just run your head into a brick wall until just as mush. I get that. She says, dad, I just, I love you, but I don't get this. I can't see what you see. And I said, I understand that faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word. I don't want, I don't, reading is, it's confusing. I start with Genesis. And I'm like, be God who? I go, I get it. You're blinded, you're veiled. You just, you got to go figure it out. The law of nature, nature's God. You're going to see it in the consequences. And here's the thing. I said, sweetie, you've been living in this house and you don't want to abide by the rules. And the reason why we abide by those is because God told us to. And you don't buy it and you don't like it. And you want to go out drinking, you want to go out partying, you want to go out dancing. Okay. But I am not going to subsidize that. I'm not going to enable that. Because there's consequences to that. And I'm not going to cover that. Tracking me? So you got two options. This is how we live. And if you want this, you got to own it. You're an adult now. So go for it. Figure it out. I kind of like living here. (laughs) But I don't like your rules. I I understand that. Listen, we're living on his earth, breathing his air, drinking his water, eating his food. You know, I get it. We don't like his rules. So try living apart from them and see how that goes. Because there's a law of nature and nature's God and he is in control of everything. It's if and then. If you do this, then I'll do that. And if you don't do this, then I won't do that. Go try that out. <laughs> and you're going to come to see him. Because all creation speaks of the glory of God. Go do it. She goes, Dad, I'm moving out. I said, okay. What are you going to do? I'm going to move to Oxnard and work at a carpet cleaning company and sew carpets. Okay. She goes and gets all of her worldly possessions, stuffs them in this jalopy of a car my godfather gave me. It was a bucket. She drives down. And I remember, I remember when she was leaving, and you know the story. She was leaving, and, and everyone's crying. And I, I looked at her, and I said, sweetie, you only owe me one thing. If you find anything better than Jesus out there, you got to come tell me. She said, Dad, I know. I just, I got to do this. I said, okay. And off she goes. I went into the house, and here's the word of prophecy. I walk into the house, and food is a comfort, as you can tell. And as I walk in... <laughs> Somebody's cooking chicken and apple sausage, Adele's chicken and apple sausage. It was all cut up and they're browning. It smells super good. And, and I go to take a piece of it. And I'm like, oh, it's so good. And it's comforting. Oh, forget about that. This is so good. And it's like Homer Simpson with cookie dough. Ha, 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 ha. And, and, and as I'm eating this, the person who's cooking it says prophetically, it's good. Isn't it? And I go, yeah. And he goes, yeah, but you don't want to know how it's made. And you're thinking, what's prophetic about that? Right then, God spoke to me. 
not an audible voice. What? He's like, ha, ha. This is what he said to my heart. He said, Rob, you're going to love the finished product of Natasha, but you do not want to see what I'm going to do. Leave her to me. Now, for us to entrust the kids we love to God and allow them to go through this season of trial is not pleasant. The one thing we want to do for our kids is protect them from pain, yeah? The one thing we want to do for our kids is protect them from the symptoms of their, of their actions, the consequences of their actions. My money can protect her from the symptoms of, of the consequences of her actions, but it doesn't, doesn't solve the problem. Sometimes it exasperates the problem. Money is an accelerant. If you throw gas on a fire, it's an accelerant. There's more of the flame. You throw money on kids that are rebellious, there's more of it. Nintendos, and they're like, go away, stupid parents. You know what I'm saying. And, and, and so the Lord said, she's mine. Leave her to me. And what he was saying is, take her off of social media. Don't even track her. You're not going to like it. Well, I didn't pay attention. I was, you know, I, I was still kind of in every social media. She's in Vegas. She's got a drink in her hand. Her head shaved. She's got a tattoo. I'm like, okay, okay, turning that off. Just turning that off, or just walk away from that. And my heart is breaking. And Michelle and I were up all night praying, and it, it went on for a year, year and a half. And out of the blue, she calls. She says, "Dad, I need to borrow some money." Natasha is, she is tough. She's figured out life to the best of her ability with what she's been given. She's made the most of it. And for her to ask for money, she has to be in a seriously bad situation. And money, as you know, is easy for me to give. Don't ask me later. And, and I just said to her, I said, I, the Lord said, you're not giving her anything. I said, Come on, Lord. Come on. I don't want her to struggle. God said, no. I said, sweetie, I can't give you any money. But to remind her what's waiting for her, there's a bed and a roof and three meals. Come on home. She said, yeah, I don't, I'm not ready for that. I said, okay. And she hung up. And her phone went dead. She couldn't pay the bill. Didn't hear from her. Honestly, I, I, fear, which is the weapon of the enemy, was telling me she, she's mine. She's dead. She's ruined. And really, if you'd seen her, she looked awful. And we had three weeks of sleeplessness. Michelle and I would be weeping. We'd be praying. We'd be up, you know, just burden, burden, burden. And we thought we had lost her. And she calls out of the blue and says, Daddy, I want to come home. I said, okay. She comes home. She said, Dad, I get it. Life apart from the Lord is awful. I said, yeah, it is. She said, but I, I want to see him like you see him. I want to know him like you know him. I said, well, honey, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. Take him at his word, and you've gotten a chance to see when you don't take him at his word, what happens. Watch what happens when you do take him at his word. Well, how do I learn his word? I said, yesterday I was praying for you, teen challenges here on Sunday. The girls were there. It's a discipleship program one year. You're going to end up in Linwood, which is, uh, is it Linwood? Yeah, yeah it's near Compton. Uh, and, and you're three months there in the induction phase, and then you go to Ojai. By the way, one of their buildings burned down. I want you to, th- I want you to remember them big at Christmas. Got me? You come into a windfall, send it. Amen. Enough said. Leave some here. But send it. <laughs> so, so with this idea, she, she says, you know, and I said, you're going to get discipleship. You're gonna, and she goes, I want that, Dad. Well, sure enough, she graduates. She's a totally different person. She says, Dad, I see him now. And I know what it's like to worship him. And I know what it's like to feel his presence and to have my heart touched and my life changed. I said, Dad, I see him. 
I see him. And her eyes were opened by faith. And what was so cool is one of the biggest mountains to her, which was like Mount Everest to any of us, because this is a girl who's been abused in every way, shape, and form. And you got a story, I will, I will contend with you with Natasha's story. She, she probably equals or beats you. Her life up to 12 years of age was awful. And when she called to ask to borrow money, I don't even want to tell you what she was going through at that moment. It, it, as a dad, I, it, it hurt. So... The Mount Everest for her was a general education degree. And she's in her 20s and she doesn't have a high school diploma. Humiliating. She powered through, she got that thing. So proud of her. And last week, she gets a call from Liberty University. She's been accepted and she has a full ride scholarship. But here's the ticket. That night, the enemy... Doesn't want to let go. That night, when she was two years old and her family separated and her father took her and her mother was abandoned with a two-month-old, what was Natasha's sister, and Natasha was two, her father went back to Russia, left Uzbekistan, went to Russia, dropped Natasha off with the grandparents, and then he went off for a wild life. She never saw him again. Natasha's mother was left with a two-month-old and Natasha didn't know anything about this. And then the grandfather dies. The grandmother becomes an alcoholic. She survived a fire. On and on and on. I tell you the whole story. That night, after she'd heard this news, she gets an inquiry on social media from a sister who's trying to find her. She says, are you my sister? She says, I am. She said, our mother died in 2015. Breaks Natasha's heart. She finds out her grandmother died last year. Didn't know any of this. She finds out she has a half-brother. She finds out she has another aunt. You want to talk about messing with your mind. And she's spinning. I said, sweetie... How you doing? And woke up in the morning. She said, Dad, I was up all night. I just, I'm, I said, honey, as Christians, we try not to make the mess, but if we do, we clean up our side of the street. But we're really on this earth to clean up everybody else's mess. I said, I wasn't there when your parents decided to do or your dad decided to do what he did and your mom decided, I don't, I don't know any of that. But I stepped into their world to clean up their mess and God has blessed me. I said, maybe what the enemy intends for evil, God will use together for good. We'll, clean, we'll see how God wants to use us to help with your sister and help with your half-brother and help with your new aunt. And we'll process all that. But your mom and your dad and all those things, not you. That's not your deal. You have cleaned up your side of the street. You see with vision. You have a heart for people. You want to live your life for others. Maybe God will give us a chance to do that with your family. She goes, yeah, dad. All of a sudden, everything's better. Long introduction to the passage. And we will get through the passage in time because what I want to share with you out of this passage is, as I said earlier, Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. And as he's going up to Jerusalem, he's surrounded by crowds in Jericho. And they're pressing in and, and they, they are so thrilled. He's coming in and they're cheering him on. And soon as he gets into Jerusalem, he is going to be betrayed, arrested, crucified. The crowds will clamor, crucify him, and his blood is on, let his blood be upon us, crucify him, crucify him. But at this point in Jericho, the crowds love him. They love him. And they're lining the streets to clamor for his attention. And uh, the reason why is they've come to believe Jesus is, and I wrote some of these down, the hope of Israel, the Messiah, the son of David, the promised king of Israel. And they're all speculating that he's going to come into Jerusalem 
He is going to claim his crown. He's going to throw off the yoke of the Romans and he's going to restore Israel to his former glory. They've got expectations and they're ready to roll. And in the midst of this clamoring crowd, praising him are two blind men. And these are blind men that station themselves at this trade route of pilgrims going up to Jerusalem. It is a great place to sit. It's like the corner over there at Target. This is where you go if you need a handout. Stand right here. Two blind men stationed there, hands out, and they have learned the language. You know, what are the things that appeal to you when you go by folks that are on the corner? Veteran, um, handicapped, uh, alcohol-free, uh, whatever they, they're trying to get into your... You get, hey. And so... These are pilgrims. Let's use some God speak. Threw that in there. <laughs> and as, and as they're, they're, they're going up, it's fascinating. They're, they're stationed there. Everyone knows them. They've seen them. They've been begging there for a long time. And they're always sitting by the road begging for alms, handouts. And in verse 30, it says, they cry out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd's irritated. Now, the crowd, as we found out in Mark and Luke, is calling him who? I had you repeat it. Jeepers. What is the crowd calling him? Jesus of Nazareth. That's like saying Rob of Thousand Oaks. Well, who is he? He's Rob of Thousand Oaks. Well, really what they're saying is he's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the guy. He's the hottest show in town. He's, he's fed us. He's healed us. He's clothed. I mean, this guy is it. Get on the gravy train. Jesus of Nazareth. And this is who they call him to be. And they cry out at that point, And they don't even use the lingo. They say, son of David, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Lord, they recognize who he is. And they cry out this messianic term. And the crowd tells them to shut up. They're irritated. The Messiah is not to be bothered with rabble like you. Shut up. And they cry out all the more. And what's amazing is Jesus stops and asks these blind men that question that I put before you, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? It's an unusual question for two reasons. The first one is, it's the only place in the Old and New Testament where God has ever said to a human being, what do you want me to do for you? Is it hot in here? You know, yes, I'm hot. Do something. <laughs> Trust me, it'll get hotter if you're not right with the Lord. <laughs> smoking or non-smoking? <laughs> we can fix that today, though. Change your cabin. Uh, we're all on this. Okay, where were we? What do you want me to do for you? So this is, this, this is a, an interesting question for two reasons, and, and it's posed, what do you want me to do for you? It's the only time in the, in the scriptures where it's ever asked of a human being. And the second reason is it was obvious what these men needed, so why is Jesus asking the question? First of all, he's God. And secondly, you look at him. And it, most of them have cataract. Their, their eyes are all glazed. When they're being led through the crowd, you know, Gail would talk of stories where her assistant would have to leave to go use the restroom and she would be placed by the wall. Gail, here's the wall, just stand there. And Gail was just very personal. She's blind, she's greeting everybody and she's, you know, and it's, hi, and what's your name? And just saying hello to people she's never met or can see. And her aide comes back, Gail, what are you doing? She says, I'm saying hi to people. She says, you're in the men's restroom. <laughs> he knew they were blind. 
Why is he asking the question? And why them of all the people in the history of mankind that God would ask this of anyone? Why them? He knows they're blind. He could have seen it. He knows this. He knows these things. All things are known by the Lord. So why ask the question? And it's obvious. He didn't ask it for the benefit of the blind men. He knew what they needed. Jesus was asking it for the benefit of the others who were there that day. And for you and me. What do you want me to do for you? It was for the benefit of the crowd. Because the crowd wasn't into helping blind people. Any more than we're into wanting to give people at the corner money. And if we do, we certainly don't want to get involved in their life or really know the true story or get beyond the sign. We'll throw them a coin. We'll throw them a piece of bread. We'll throw them our leftover Chipotle. We certainly don't want to get into their life and find out why they're standing there and how we make, get involved in their life in a greater capacity. We just don't want to be confronted with the decline of Western civilization. Just take this. I'm moving along. Some of you will sit at the stoplight and just try not to make eye contact. No, no. I'm on the phone. I'm very busy. I got things. I'm going to text because I'm going to stop sign and I can text. And this is what I'm doing. I'm pretending like I'm speaking to someone on the phone, even though I'm not. So just understand that I'm a busy person. I don't want to look at you. They were a hindrance. Shut up. Let's just move on with life. And you know, these people were telling the blind men to shut up. And the reason why, and I think this is, this falls on the church, falls on us as Christians. I think what they expected Jesus to do and why he was there in Jericho was not to help the blind. He was there. He was there to meet their needs and to build their kingdom. Hmm? Come on, why do you go to a church? Well, they got good music. They've got wonderful auxiliary ministries. How did a church begin? A handful of people in a house. How'd you get those auxiliary meetings? People started to participate. Well, I'm coming because they have afforded them to me. I don't like drums. I was happy today because there weren't drums, so I'm going to stay for another week. <laughs> Some folks are going, there weren't drums, and I'm not really into two guitars. And like, hey, 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 I'm leaving. <laughs> and these chairs, I don't, I don't like the colors, and why concrete floors? Others are going, I love these chairs, concrete floors. This is hip. It, it's, it's all subjective, and, and it's about your kingdom. What's this church do for me? And this is why they're clamoring for Jesus. He's fed us, he's clothed us, he's healed us, and he's going to take over the Roman Empire and restore us to our glory. And God bless America. <laughs> and when he didn't do it, crucify him, kill him. His blood be upon us. You know, Jesus didn't ask the question of the crowds. What do you want me to do for you? He asked it of the blind men. I think the church forgets why it's here sometimes. We think it's all about us. And we get upset that people would dare to rally at a park. Guess what? It's not about us. It's about them. They're not the enemy. They're the opportunity. You insulted. You hurt. Yeah, but we want that church. This is our agenda. This is what we want to do. We get distracted. Somebody encouraged me this week because I, I get endless emails, and I'm not, I'm not opposed to the emails. I know folks mean well, and they want to update me, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Please understand. 
And in the midst of that, as I'm reading this, 900 people signed it, and this is what was said, and this is what the people want to do, and they want to do an injunction, and da-da-da-da. And I'm hearing all of it, but I, I was so blessed this week when a brother in the Lord, he, uh, he called me, and I was really touched. He said, you know, I've been dreaming about that sanctuary and that location, and, and there's a part of me that it, it bothers me right now with what the folks are doing. But I love what this little church has done and the lives that it's touched. And if God doesn't want us to be there and he wants us to stay here, I love this little church and I'm okay with that. You know, it's, it's not about my kingdom or the size of the church or the location of the church. It's about God and his kingdom. You don't, you know, I don't know if you, that just ministered to my heart like you can't imagine. It just put me at ease. He knew God would supply the new sanctuary when God was ready for us to have it. And didn't bother him because he knew God was doing mighty things in our little church. He realized, and I love this, I put it down, he realized that God wasn't into building our kingdom but his. And uh, I think that helps us a lot. We get distracted in our relationship with the Lord because we're more consumed with our kingdom than his. And I think Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you? And when he asks this question, it's going to put us in a perplexing situation. Because, yes, he did ask the question of the blind men for the sake of those listening, but he also asked it of the blind men for a reason, because he was testing them. I counsel people, and I confirmed this with a psychologist this morning to see if this is true for them, because it's true for me. Whenever anyone comes into my office, anyone ever comes into my office, and they want counsel, I always begin with, why are you here and what do you want me to do for you? And I asked this psychologist, I said, yeah, that's the first thing. Why are you here? What can I, what do you want me to do for you? I have to ask that question. And, and, and it's, it's fun for me because oftentimes I remember one man in particular came in and I, and he, he goes, Hey, how you doing? I go, good. He goes, thanks for meeting with me. Yeah. What can I do for you? How can I help you? What do you want me to do for you? Well, I want my wife back. I want my kids back. I want my house back. I, I, I go, well, I am not going to waste your time. You need an attorney. <laughs> so I can recommend some attorneys to you. What do you mean? You're, my wife goes to this church. My kids go to this church. You're the pastor. I know. I know. But you're, you're asking me to get them back, and you want your kids back, and you want your house back. You, want, that's, you, you need an attorney. You don't need me. I, I'm, not, I'm in, not in that business. And they're looking at me when, what business are you in? You know, I'm in one thing. I'm like in and out burger. They do burgers. They don't do chicken. They don't do parfaits. They don't do salads. They don't do nuggets. I am here to restore your relationship with Jesus Christ. I can help you with that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on your understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll direct your steps. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things that you're talking about would be added unto you. Now that, but this is what I do. I can't help you with this. You can go for this in your own flesh and try to get that done, but I'm not going to, I can help you with this. This is what I do. This is my wheelhouse. I'm in and out burger. Those are nuggets. Don't. <laughs> because oftentimes people come and ask you to do something or you're, you want to do something for them that they don't want done. I don't want a relationship with the Lord. Okay, good. Then I, I can't help you. 
What do you want me to do for you? I want to get my, I can't do that. So you have to, you have to let them know I, that I'm here to do this. And, and oftentimes you want to fix it with a way that they're not interested in. They, they don't want your technique and they don't want it done the way that it has to be done. And, and you have to clarify the issue. They don't want you to try fixing something that the person doesn't want fixed. I don't want to fix my relationship with the Lord. I get it. It's okay. Uh, here's a couple of names for attorneys. Lawyer up. And, and some of you go, that's cold and harsh. Well, you can take my job. <laughs> you want me to fix it in a way that you won't accept or will cooperate in. I can't help you. This is how you do it. So when Jesus asks them, what do you want me to do for you? They're usually saying, have mercy on us because that's the way you get money from religious people. And if they had said, well, we want money, or we want that, they said, Lord, we want to be able to see. And, and the scripture says, by their faith. So the Lord knew it. And oftentimes when people come into my office and they say, I want my wife back, I want my kids back, I want my house back. I say, I don't do that. What do you do? I tell them what I do. And they go, like my daughter, you know what? Honestly, now that you say it, that's what I want. Okay, well, I can help you with that. And they end up getting all those things anyways, which is kind of cool. And these folks were left with a question just like you are. What do you want me to do for you? So I asked you the question earlier. You heard the question. I asked you to marinate in it. And what did you come up with? No answer. If God were before you asking you, what do you want me to do for you? Can you think of all the things you'd write down? And none of them are what you need. None of them. What you need is right here. A relationship with the living God whose body was broken, whose blood was shed to, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, to give you a right relationship with the God who keeps your heart beating and your lungs moving, whose air you're breathing, whose ground you're living on, and whose food you're eating and whose water you're drinking. And you do it that way, under the laws of nature, nature's God, or apart from him. But either way, you're going to come to realize he is Lord and he is the Messiah. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Because obviously everyone else has been calling me the gravy train, Jesus of Nazareth, rob a thousand oaks. But you called me Lord, son of David. You know me to be the Messiah and you know me to be God. What do you want me to do for you? And the first thing they said is, Lord, we want to receive our sight. I was blessed by that. And Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. You know, there's Christians who ask God, or I would say this, there's Christians who receive nothing from the Lord because they've never asked him. You know, I don't want to bother him. What did these blind men do? You, you can't bother the Lord. What did they do? They were louder. So, you know, I don't want to bother the Lord with something this trivial. Is it important to you? Yeah, yeah, it is. Have you asked him? No, I'm not a praying person. God and I kind of have an understanding. I'll stay out of his business if he stays out of mine. How's that working for you? Not too, not, 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 not too good? Not too good? James already addressed this for you, so you don't have to worry about it. I'll read it to you. It's in the book of James, and it says in James chapter 4, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, and you can't have what you want. You quarrel and you fight, and you don't have it because you never ask God for it. 
You go, well, pastor, I have asked the Lord and I didn't get it. Okay. James answers that. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. They may, you may spend it on your pleasures. My kingdom, cosmic genie, Jesus of Nazareth, not Lord, not son of David. I want that Ferrari and I want a lifetime supply of heroin. No. I want to live in your house and still go to the borderline and drink all night. No, not going to happen. I, my money will only take care of your symptoms and I will enable your problems and be an accelerant to kill you. And I love you too much to do that. So you're going to come to know the Lord as you live under his law of nature and nature's God. You're going to see this. And then when you get to that realization that these, this is the consequences, if and then, then you come back and the Lord is merciful. We get distracted as Christians and we try to do things on our own. And like all human beings, when we get to that place where we're frustrated trying to solve things on our own, like Natasha did, we get angry, we get upset, we get quarrelsome, and we resolve our problems by force and manipulation. You don't have because you don't ask God. And this is where we run into problems in our life when we try to do things all by ourselves. And the Lord says to you today, what would you have me do for you? Now, some of you are going, this is way too big for God. Really? Apparently, you've never met him. Romans 8.32, and I want you to remember this. Romans 8.32, ready? God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What he's saying is, what would you have me do for you? I gave you my son. I, would be willing, I, I was willing to sacrifice my own son. His body was broken. His blood was shed. Is, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you if it was for your benefit. Do you trust me? He's personally asking you, what do you want me to do for you? You know, the thing that blessed me so much about Natasha is that when it all clicked, and she got to know the Lord not by obeying him, but by disobeying him and seeing the consequences of her actions, law of nature, nature's God. And when she finally said, I want to be able to know him and see him like you do. Out of that desperation, God gave her vision. Are you desperate enough? Or do you still have an agenda and an idea of the cosmic genie in the sky, Jesus of Nazareth, what you want him to do under your terms? Are you desperate enough to call him Lord and live by his terms? Because if you are, he's saying right now, I've given you my son. There isn't anything I wouldn't give you. What do you want me to do for you? But first you got to call me Lord and trust me. And faith, vision comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. And all of a sudden, you're going to have vision. You may have sight, but you're blind in vision. God's going to give you vision. And your whole life will change. You saw the people who raised their hands. And my daughter, if you have doubt that God can open your eyes so you can see the Lord, you just have a little conversation with her. Because that's a girl that would tell you he is more real than you could possibly imagine. I've been through it all, she'll say. I wouldn't wish that for you. I tried everything but him. When I finally came to realize by the consequences of my actions and the results that he is there and he does govern in the affairs of men, I wanted to know him like you know him, Daddy. 
And she was all in. I'll tell you what. I think she has seen God in a more profound way than I have at 53 years of age. But you got to surrender. You say, show me and I'll believe. And God says, believe and I'll show you. That's faith. So today, the Lord who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? We're, he's he's going to give you all things, but first he wants to give you a son. And then he's going to say to you, what do you want me to do for you? And you go ahead and tell him. And if you ask according to his will, guess what? Yes and amen. I have been so blessed by my life with the Lord, and I pray today you ask him what it is. After you call him Lord, you'll know exactly what you need because the minute that he asked the the blind men, they said, Lord, that we would receive our sight. And God said, I'll give you the sight. They trusted him and now they were able to see him. They trusted him. They were able to see him. And what's the first thing they did? They followed him and they glorified him. If you win the lottery, I love that line, all tithe. First of all, why are you playing it? It's a tax on the stupid. Uh, And I've played it. But the idea is, is he Lord? And you're going to see, what would you have me do for you? And you'll be blessed beyond measure. And it begins today as we take communion. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that as you said to the blind men, what would you have me do for you after they had called you Lord, Messiah, son of David? You've given us your son. How will you not freely give us all things? And the first thing that they did after they had trusted you is that you allowed them to see you. That's how it, that's how it happens. We trust you and then we see you. We trust you and then we see you. And, and Lord, with that understanding of trusting you and seeing you, then our heart's cry is to follow you and to glorify you. And that's how we know that we are in alignment with your will and your purposes because you're Lord. And so today we recognize as often as you do this, this communion, do it in remembrance of me. Who's me? Lord, Jesus, son of David, Messiah, who came to set the captives free and give sight to the blind. And so, Lord, today we come to recognize you, that you are the Messiah, you're the Son of God, you have cleansed us of all unrighteousness. And Heavenly Father, you gave your Son, you will freely give us all things when we receive him as Lord. And Holy Spirit, you are testifying to every heart that can hear in the hearing of my voice. They've been moved by this. And you say to them today, what do you want me to do for you? You want your kingdom or you want mine? If you want mine, not only will I give you my Son, but I'll give you all things freely. Come unto me, all you are burdened and heavy laden. And so today, Lord, we come. We come to take communion and to remember you, and we thank you, Lord. Bless our time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The way we take communion is the ushers will dismiss you by row. You take the cup and the bread, and what we've decided to do is there's not regular bread and gluten-free bread. It's all gluten-free, so it's hard to get down. But anyways... um, You go back to your seat to the center aisle, you sit down and you take the bread first. It's just kind of the way we do it. It's not, you won't go to hell if you screw it up, but you take the bread first because the body had to be broken 
before the blood could be shed. And the Bible says blood must be shed for the forgiveness or remission of sins. And this is what we're doing. He's Lord. He's our Savior. He's Messiah. And so you take the bread, and then the Lord says to you, what would you have me do for you? And you're aligned in his will, in his kingdom, honoring and glorifying him and following him. So let the Lord bless you as he says this question to all of us and enjoy it, marinate in it. And may the Lord bless you and minister to you in Jesus' name. Amen.